We're podcasting from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. I'm Public Affairs Officer Taylor Henry, and today we're talking about the cause for Father Vincent R. Capadano, M.M., 1929-1967, Vietnam War hero, posthumous recipient of the Medal of Honor, and candidate for sainthood in the Catholic Church. I'm honored to be talking with George Phillips, USMC retired, board chairman of the Father Capadano Guild, Father Commander Daniel Mode, author of The Grunt Padre, Father Capadano's biography, and vice postulator of the cause, vice postulator of the cause, Mary Priest. Welcome to all of you. Good to be here. Uh, in Georgia, September marks a milestone in the remembrance of Father Capadano. How so? On 4 September 1967 in Vietnam, in the Quezon Valley, uh, Father Capadano lost his life. On 4 September this year, it'll be 50 years. And uh, also in this year of the 50th year, uh, the next phase of his uh, canonization effort uh, would begin. The, the phase one is closed and it went to Rome. And so it's now in Rome and uh, we'll see where we go. All right, Mary, what events are planned uh, for the 50th anniversary? Well, in the past several years, we've had a memorial mass for Father Capadano, and again, we will have one in the crypt chapel of the, uh, the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception here in Washington, D.C. Uh, we are having um, the release of the new documentary about Father Capadano's life occur that same week. And um, I think this mass will attract more of the family members that, that are coming from great distances, many of the Marines who were with Father Capadano on that fateful day, and people from Staten Island, his friends, his neighbors, people who still remember him and love him dearly. Father Capadano was from Staten Island. He was. And what is the name of this uh, documentary film? When can folks see it? The, the name of the film is Called and Chosen, and it will be available at the same time as, as the anniversary mass. Uh, it will air on EWTN? It will. On, uh, on August 30th? August 30th on EWTN uh, with uh, uh, Father Pacwa running a 60-minute uh, 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 interview uh, with myself and others and uh, uh, Mary and uh, the producer, uh, uh, Jim Kelty, and we'll do a half hour of interview and then a half hour of answering emails and Tweety and all that other stuff. And uh, what time does that start on August? It starts 30th? at 8 o'clock, followed by the first airing uh, of the new documentary. Very good. And when is the annual Memorial Mass for Father Capadano this year? It will be Tuesday, September 5th at 6.30. Public's invited. Yes. And Father Mode, you wrote a fantastic book, the biography of uh, Father Capadano, The Grunt Padre. Uh, what is it about the life and death of Father Capadano that, in your opinion, makes him worthy of sainthood? As I wrote the book, um, and really as I wrote the master's thesis back in uh, the early 90s for my MA in church history, um, one theme kept on coming back to me, how ordinary 
he was, not extraordinary. He did an extraordinary thing at the end of his life, but how he carried out his priesthood and his missionary zeal as a marinal, and then also as a, a Navy chaplain serving with the Marines in Vietnam in very normal uh, and, and beautiful ways uh, and very humble ways. Uh, that kind of gift of who he was as this person who was always giving of himself in very normal ways, uh, not extraordinary, uh, but those ordinary ways added up time and time again to show forth this man who was trying to live like Christ, which is what any saint is, a person who tries to emulate Christ in their daily life. Uh, and and certainly Father Capadano did that. He, he constantly did that. So when people ask me, why do you think he he ultimately made that sacrifice on the day of September 4th, 1967? It was really a culmination of his whole life, of his whole giving, uh, and ultimately of giving up his life for others. And how exactly was it that he died on the battlefield? He was uh, a part of M Company of the 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines uh, on September 4th. He circulated all the time through the 5th Marines. Uh, on this day, he happened to be with uh, M Company. Uh, he was trying to get to a battalion aid station that was being set up. Uh, the helicopter was forced into uh, a landing zone that they didn't anticipate through enemy fire and got off the helicopter with the elements of M Company, making their way towards uh, a little bit safer area or that the battalion aid station um, lay the conflagration of that war. Uh, 2,500 North Vietnamese now against about 500 of our own forces. Uh, it was quite the hell of war. Um, Father Capdano heard a, a radio operator, his name was Corporal Lovejoy, um, shouting across the radio, uh, we're being overrun, we can't hold out. Father Capdano was in relative safety um, uh, with the company command. When he heard that, uh, his heart leapt for him and he leapt over uh, the rice fields and, and the, the knoll area to get to that radio operator, Corporal Lovejoy, um, bring him back to relative safety. Throughout the day, he would do the same thing with different people, bringing them medical attention, um, caring for them, praying with them. Uh, several people died in his arms, including Sergeant Peters. Um, several uh, amazing, and again, showing the quality of who Father Capadonna was, amazing stories on the battlefield that day. One, he gave off his gas mask to uh, a Marine who didn't have one uh, when tear gas was deployed. Uh, again, a selfless act. Um, even though he was injured twice in his right hand and arm, uh, he, he refused to leave the battlefield. He needed to be with his Marines on the battlefield. Ultimately, while caring for a, a corpsman, uh, a Navy corpsman, Corpsman Leal, who was shot by machine gun nest. Um, he was praying over this corpsman and 27 bullet holes through his back uh, from that same machine gun nest uh, ultimately uh, ended his life. George, you served with Father Capadano, correct? I did. Uh, I, did uh, I didn't know him for very long. He, he only came to us uh, in Mike 3-5 at the end of uh, July and uh, was with us through August, but he was also jumping to the other battalions, uh, saying mass and, uh, you know, doing his priestly duties. Uh, but on, uh, I had known him primarily from the masses, 
and going to confession and and sitting around and talking. He used to love to walk around and just sit, talk with Marines and listen to what they had to say. And and uh, I'd done that with them uh, numerous times, as well as many other Marines. So you got to know him in the last weeks of his life. Right. I had heard about him uh, a year before. I mean, I, uh, the, when he came when he came in country and he started doing some of the things that uh, uh, Father Mode was talking about, people began to talk about this grunt padre. And uh, so I, I knew about him uh, long before I ever met him. What was he like? <laughs> That's always the worst question. <laughs> He's, he was the most, I think, composed person I ever met. I think he was the most confident man I ever met in terms of being comfortable with what he was doing, believing in what he was doing, and believing he could do it well. You don't see that a lot of times. Uh, even today in business, you, you don't see that. He was singularly focused on helping his Marines. He was not limited to the Catholics. Well, the Protestant and the Jewish Marines would come up to him. Uh, he had a special way about him. When you when you talk to him one on one, and you got within like two feet of him, it was like you know the cone of silence had come down. It, it, you don't realize, or at least I didn't. I didn't have any sense of what was going on around me. I just had this this sense of of talking to this priest, him listening to me maybe giving some guidance or uh, some conversations. So when you were with them, uh, especially if you were close, uh, two feet talking one-on-one, -on -one, uh, it was just the two of you, and it, was, it felt like nothing else was going on around you. No helicopters flying overhead, uh, no Marines running around. Uh, it was just so quiet. And you felt so comfortable and so focused. Uh, you know, you didn't have any sense of fear. Uh, he just brought great peace to you uh, when you talked to him one-on-one. -on -one. And, uh, and he was very soft-spoken. Uh, but the thing that I always remember the most is his eyes. You'd look into his eyes, and it was like, you know, the world had changed for that two or three minutes that you were talking to him. Wow. It's an amazing experience. Uh, so Mary, um, Archbishop Brolio just closed the archdiocesan phase of the uh, inquiry into uh, uh, Father Capadano's life and death. Uh, this went on for almost four years. Uh, can you tell us what, uh, what this was all about, what the uh, inquiry involved, what was collected by the tribunal that was appointed sure. to look into Father Capadano's life? Actually, um, it took more than four years to, to amass all of this data documentation that was required by the Congregation for the Cause of Saints. Um, I believe we began back in 2004 amassing some of the things that would initiate the cause. And so um, Father Mode asked me to, to compile these things, which I did. It went to Rome for 
virtually the green light to begin the cause. And in 2006, um, the Servant of God status was granted to Father Capitano. So from that time on, and even before that, we began collecting anything that would contribute to the idea of his virtuous life and heroic death. I have in um, many binders the original documents of letters, correspondence, um, a couple of homilies, anything that Father actually wrote, and everything was um, necessary to be reviewed by the Theological Commission for a consistency, nothing that would, would ever um, trigger any kind of concern, and of course there was nothing. So there was that correspondence. There were um, interviews that were conducted by the tribunal in which people who knew Father Capitano could attest to his, his goodness. And, and what George was mentioning a few moments ago, that, that came across in everyone's testimony. There were some that we called secondary witnesses that didn't know him but have been affected by him greatly, and, and their zeal was very apparent upon being interviewed by the, the tribunal. Um, and then there was the Historical Commission's um, magnificent composite of his life, which was basically uh, another biography, if you will. So this. This container had many things uh, that will now be examined by the congregation to confirm whether or not the um, name Venerable will be attached to Father Capadano, so that um, we can go on now into the beatification phase. Now, I know you're limited in what you can tell us, but uh, since his death there have been reports of favors granted when folks play, prayed to Father Capadano. Mm -hmm. Can you give us uh, any examples of, of that? Well, um, there are all, there's a variety of these answered favors. They can be something as um, what, what Father Mode calls a moral miracle in terms of somebody coming back to the faith or a vocation that is attributed to Father Capadano's intercession or somebody has ended a, a drug habit through praying through him. For, for God's assistance. Uh, we do have some that are pretty significant in terms of miraculous healings that science or medicine can't probably explain. Those are the ones that we have to be a little careful about in terms of um, giving too many particulars at this time. But we do have several that we are investigating, and um, that will be necessary. Of course, one of those will have to be proven for beatification to be granted to Father Capadano. Father Mode, you're an active duty Navy chaplain now stationed at the Pentagon. What kind of influence would you say that uh, the, the uh, heroic sacrifice of Father Capadano uh, has made on the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps? Is he uh, a well-known figure among Navy chaplains? He is absolutely a well-known figure. Um, he certainly had an influence on me. Uh, the first time I ever heard about Father Capadano was when I went through our chaplain school back in 1989. Uh, the chapel there was named after him. The ship in the harbor was the USS Capadano up in Newport, Rhode Island. The road that the drill instructor ran us on was Father Capadano <laughs> Street. So uh, a number of his uh, memorabilia about him was at the chaplain school. So that lore has continued on. 
So when people go uh, to be uh, indoctrinated as a chaplain in the Navy uh, and go through their initial phase in schooling, uh, Father Capadano's life is revealed to them. There's only one other chaplain in the Navy who received the Medal of Honor, and that was in World War II, Father O'Callaghan. He's also a Catholic. He's also a Catholic priest. Um, and both of those lives are, are shown to us and mirrored for us so that we can understand their significance. Obviously, one received the Medal of Honor posthumously, Father Capadano, Father Callahan, who's a Jesuit, um, actually lived to tell the story of his heroics on, on board the USS Franklin, an aircraft carrier during World War II. But so right from the beginning um, of your life as a chaplain, whatever denomination you are, you're hearing the heroics of Father Capadano. Um, so there is not a, a Navy chaplain out there that does not know the name of Father Capitano. And I suppose he stands as a shining example of what a Navy chaplain should be. Absolutely. You know, there's pictures on the hallways. There's even pictures of him in the Pentagon, several places, uh, not just in our chaplain area of the Pentagon, but uh, literally in regular corridors, there are pictures of Father Capitano. Yeah, I'd just like to add, it goes beyond uh, the Navy Marine Corps team. About nine months ago, I was giving a presentation on uh, the life of Father Capadano uh, down in uh, Virginia, uh, Southern Virginia. And uh, after the presentation, the Army Chief of Chaplains came up to me, and I don't recall his name now. Did Hurley? Yeah. Yeah, Father, Father Hurley. So he came up to me and, and he said, he said, I really believe in Father Capadano. He said, at our chaplain school, I make all our chaplains read the Grand Padre. And all our chaplains are told to emulate what they see in that book. So his, his influence has gone way beyond the, the uh, Navy and Marine Corps. Speaking of the book, Father Mode, where could someone purchase a copy of the Grand Prodigy? Well, the easiest answer to that is Amazon.com. Where can you get anything? Uh, <laughs> but you go on Amazon.com, you can uh, just type in Grand Padre, It comes right up. Got it. And George, uh, do you remember the day that Father Capadano was killed or when you first heard about his death? Yeah, I, I was there that day. Uh, uh, there were three platoons that got ambushed. He was, Father Capadano was initially back, way in the back, because he had got on the last helicopter. And, uh, but when the, when the shooting started, uh, he immediately moved up to the second and the first platoon and started ministering to people as, as uh, uh, Father Mo just described. Uh, but in his uh, 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 final moments, which I, which I did not personally witness, uh, but uh, Five or six of those people are still alive. Matter of fact, in the, the filming of the documentary, uh, we were all out at that filming to make sure that it was accurate and, and that there was no, uh, you know, things that didn't happen, that it was accurate uh, down to the smallest detail. And, uh, and uh, there was a 50 cal machine gun uh, that was, uh, picking people off as they ran through an opening in this hedge line. Uh, and that's where uh, Corporal Lyle was. And uh, Father Capadano knew it was there. Father Capadano had seen uh, two other Marines get wounded 
trying to get through this gap to get to other wounded Marines in a Coleman named Lyle. Uh, but uh, after he had finished ministering to the, uh, the, the next to last Marine, he made that, that, that dash uh, over to uh, Corman Lyle and got between Lyle and the machine gun. The machine gun opened up and it was a 50 cal. Uh, I've been told some thought it was a 7.62. It doesn't matter, they're big bullets and they leave big holes. And uh, he got stitched with uh, 27 rounds. Wow. And you were among the platoons that were under ambush. Yes. What was that like? <laughs> it was hell. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, as, as, as Father mentioned, uh, my company had 178 people that day. Uh, we walked into this ambush, uh, I want to say early afternoon. I had been in country nine months, uh, and so had others. And we had been through some very bad, very bad uh, uh, firefights uh, uh, and taken tremendous casualties. Uh, but never had any of us seen so much firepower uh, come down on us so quickly and so continuously for six to eight hours. And, uh, you know, just a little anecdotal, there was uh, Ken Fields was the, uh, the point man. And uh, as we were walking before everything started, he called back to Sergeant Vandegriff uh, and Sergeant Sullivan and said, I, uh, I think I just saw a bush move. And of course, in typical Marine manner, they yelled back, if it moves again, shoot it. And it moved, and they shot it, and that's when everything started raining down on us, and it continued. And it continued for hours and hours and hours. I've never before or since been any any kind of uh, that. We ended up, I think, uh, Cap Captain uh, Murray was telling me with uh, 17 or 18 dead, and 68 wounded out of 178 men thereabouts. And you were outnumbered. Yeah, there was a uh, father, 20, about 2,500 of them, uh, surrounded by, uh, mm -hmm. surrounding Mike 3-5. And I know in a situation like that, your life just has to pass before your eyes. Uh, uh, <laughs> tell me the sensations you feel. I know you had to, obviously, you had the courage to hang in there. But there had to be fear. It, there's always fear when you're in a combat zone because you never know what's going to happen next. The smallest movement could set off an IED uh, and your life is over or changed forever. Even in, when in, in the rear areas, you know, you're trying to be relaxed and we all joke and try to pretend nobody's afraid. And it's not a throbbing fear uh, when you're in the rear, but you know that mortars or a sniper. Uh, you know, could hit at any time. Uh, but uh, you always have to deal with the fear, especially in, in the big firefights, or even one guy shooting at you is enough to be a firefight. Uh, what you have to do, and it's what Father Capadano did, was you focus on your mission. What am I supposed to be doing now? Am I supposed to be bringing the wounded back in? 
Am I supposed to be radio radioing for air support? Uh, are we supposed to be pulling in a perimeter? And for all the Marines that day that I knew, uh, Father Capadano, right at the top of the list, never lost sight of the, the mission. Because if we had, nobody would have walked off that hill. Mary, I know this has been a labor of love for you for the past 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. How do you feel right now knowing that the cause is now before the congregation for the causes of saints in in Rome? Well, of course, I'm I'm grateful to have been a part of it. I'm, I'm relieved that the first phase is, is completed. But I realize that this is a time-consuming project, and so... I'm hoping that things will be expedited and that we we get the good word that Venerable has been attached to Father's name, and then we can begin what we need to do for beatification. And Father Mode told us about the uh, example that Father Cappadano set for chaplains. In your mind, what kind of example does Father Cappadano Mm -hmm. set for Catholics across the board, whether in the military or civilian? Well, his great... uh, Humility is is something that I think all of us should strive to to em, emulate. Um, personally, he's he was a member of a large family, as I am, and so I think that familial connection. And I'm hearing still from his relatives how devoted he was as a son, as a brother, as an uncle, um, and he had a true love of following. Jesus's words, and and he did it in, in the ordinary aspects of his life, so much so that we can all hope to follow his example. But Father Rode, how much work went into researching the life of Father Capadonna when you wrote your biography? In a word or two words, <laughs> a lot, um, a lot. Uh, so when I started getting the itch of of learning about him and wanting to write my master's thesis on him, which only had to be about 30 to 40 pages. I did the initial research and discovered that there was nothing really written about him, just about a three-page article in the Marine Corps Gazette back in 1984. Uh, So I I decided um, I got to figure out another topic because where am I going to pull in the resources? But it bugged me that nothing had ever been written about him. Um, I was contemplating being a Navy chaplain. Um, I was obviously contemplating being a, a, a priest. I was in the seminary. Uh, so I had a lot of questions about not only my own vocational call, but his vocational call. Why, why did he want to be, become a priest and a marital missionary and a chaplain? And why did he end up in Vietnam that day? All these questions bugged me. And I said, I should research this. So started two and a half years of researching and writing while I'm still in the seminary, studying theology and getting all the other classes as well as pastoral works done. So I basically dedicated um, three hours every day to researching and writing about his life. And and every vacation I got, I would go to Staten Island to do interviews, go down to Norfolk where they had the archives for the Navy, uh, go to Marinol where it had obviously his archives. So I did a lot of original research um, the most amazing thing was meeting people like George, uh, who who were with him in Vietnam. And those were very sacred moments, still are, uh, to, to hear 
really eyewitness accounts. And that made me realize that what I'm touching here is so much more than a history project or a biography of a certain individual. But in my own heart at that time, I realized his sanctity. And, and in many ways, he was kind of a spiritual director to me during that time and certainly influenced my, my decision to, to be a Navy chaplain, to stick with that, to ultimately serve active duty um, as a Navy uh, priest. Um, when I was in Afghanistan for almost two years, his life influenced me greatly as I reflected on it and the certain encounters that I had over there. How would Father Capadano deal with this? Uh, would you be with me right now, Father Capadano, as I go through this? So, um, the creating it from almost nothing really helped me to understand his life. I remember before his brother died, Jim Capadano, who posthumously received the Medal of Honor on behalf of his brother, he, he once mentioned to me, you know my brother better than I do, mm -hmm. and I've never met Father Capadano because of the encounters I've had. And, and later in my life, uh, as a Navy chaplain, I've had the privilege to go to Vietnam. I've had the privilege to go to the actual site where he was killed. I've been to Taiwan, where he ministered uh, for the first time as a marinal missionary. I've been in the very chapel where he baptized his first ch children as an associate pastor. I've been to the chapel on, a, on the mountains where he ministered to the Hakka people, and the, the chapel was built posthumously after his death. Um, I've, I've been to Hong Kong in the very room where he wrote the letters asking his superiors to go into the Navy and to serve with the Marines. Uh, I've been on the very pier in Hong Kong where he boarded his very first ship, um, a Navy ship. So those influences of his life became influences in my life where I've traced his, his steps. Been to Staten Island, visited with most a number of his family members before they passed away. Um, so it's definitely been a part of my DNA. What does the Quezon Valley look like today? Very much the same. <laughs> George would, yes. would be a better person to answer that question. No, it's, uh, uh, I, I'm one of the ones that, that didn't want to go back, but, but many, many others have gone back numerous times. The actual site, as Father, Father could, could attest, is now overgrown. Uh, there, you know, we had we had brush and and bushes. Uh, now they have really big bushes, and people have been back. Uh, but the Quezon Valley in Vietnam then and now is the breadbasket uh, for the country. That's where most of the rice production comes from. So the NVA always wanted to have control of that, and. Uh, that made any excursion into the Quaisons uh, interesting. And uh, well, we had been going into the Quaisons since, uh, at times, as early as February. And uh, on Union 1, Union 2, uh, you know, trying to reclaim it. Uh, so uh, the Quaisons, I'm sure, are still green, covered with rice paddies and little villages with thatched roofs. Because that's the way they live. And George, you worked closely with producer Jim Kelty on this documentary film. I did. What can you tell us about the film? I, I, I'll tell you uh, what I hope. Because <laughs> uh, if not, I'll have to, I'll have to kill Kelty. But uh, uh, 
we searched for a long time before we found Kelty. We, we first tried to do this with local talent, and we very quickly realized it was way beyond the scope of what they could do here. So then uh, we knew about a, uh, a screenplay that had been written, and we got in contact with a guy in Boston, and there was another guy in Connecticut and, and Kelty. And uh, long story short, we ended up with, with uh, Jim. Jim had done, along with a lot of other works, but in particular for EWTN, uh, the documentaries, and I always can't say the names, but... Uh, uh, Father Unipera Serra yeah. and Kateri Tekwitha. Right, and he had done those documentaries and, uh, and uh, was given awards by the Vatican for, uh, you know, uh, uh, Catholic documentaries. So he seemed to, to just fit the picture. Uh, and, and he's a piece of work. You know, he's always jumping around. He's got a, I must talk to him five times a, five, five times a week and twice as many emails. But it's, it's all about getting it right. And he's meticulous. And when we were out in California the first week in June, when we were doing the Vietnam shots, and we had to train these young Marines. I mean, he went and found these young men from St. Thomas Aquinas Junior College there. So one, the actors were all Catholic. Uh, and the Marines that came along, uh, after about the first three or four hours, had all blended in. And, and their uh, camaraderie came about. And, and it was, Jim was the driving force behind this. You know, you know this guy's playing, you know, in my case, here's, a, here's, here's this guy, he's gonna play you. You go, you, you go sit with him for two hours. Uh, and, and that's how he did it. And then we, uh, Jim had us uh, teaching them how to patrol. Uh, and, I, uh, and one of the things that happened uh, during, during the ambush, as we talked about, was the moving bushes. So we had uh, camouflaged three or four of them up as moving bushes and then put them out, way out, and they, they would come in. I was sitting there with uh, Captain Murray and three or four other Marines that were there and two from 1st Platoon who actually saw the moving bushes, and we all got the chills. Mm because it was just looking looking like looking at it again. I mean, we're, all, we're looking for guns to shoot somebody, <laughs> you know. But, but Kelty has done, I believe, a fantastic job. And uh, he's pulling it together. We've seen clips. Mm -hmm. Those clips are very well done. I think what he's done with the early life of Father Capadano with the children actors and the actor for his, his mother, mm -hmm. uh, not only that they look alike, uh, uh, the representation of the family life in his younger life, uh, spectacular. And uh, the Vietnam shots, of course, I know, I've, I've seen them, they're spectacular. Uh, and EWTN is all excited. Uh, you know, we teamed with them on this. Uh, and uh, I think it's gonna be a marvelous project and, and Jim Kelty is responsible for that. George Phillips, USMC, retired board chairman of the Father Capadano Guild, Father Commander Daniel Mode, author of The Grunt Padre, and Mary Priest, vice postulator of the cause. We've been talking about the upcoming 50th anniversary of the death of Father Capadano. EWTN will premiere 
the new documentary film about Father Capadano called Called and Chosen on August 30th. It will begin with a panel discussion hosted by Father Mitch Pacwa on EWTN, August 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And again, the annual Capadano Mass to be celebrated by His Excellency, the Most Reverend Archbishop Timothy P. Brolio at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception on September 5th at 6.30 p.m. in the crypt. Thank you all for talking to me today. And uh, in case you want to purchase a copy of The Grunt Padre, I highly recommend it. You can order it on Amazon. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome.